welcome to Arbitral Insights, a podcast series brought to you by our international arbitration practice lawyers here at Reed Smith. I'm Jose Estigarraga, Global Head of Reed Smith's International Arbitration Practice. I hope you enjoy the industry commentary, insights, and anecdotes we share with you in the course of this series, wherever in the world you are. If you have any questions about any of the topics discussed, please do contact our speakers. And with that, let's get started. Welcome to this episode of Arbitral Insights on Reed Smith's podcast channel. Um, I'm Peter Rocha, a partner in our Paris office, and I'm here today with two senior associates, Vanessa Thieffrey, um, also in the Paris office, and Alison Eslick, who joins us from Dubai. Our topic is the peculiarities of construction arbitration, and we're going to be looking at its features and what distinguishes it from other fields of arbitration. And what's certain is that construction arbitration as a genre certainly does have some peculiarities. And there are even more idiosyncrasies when we start comparing construction arbitrations seated in different parts of the world. So I'm sure that today there will be some interesting insights as we compare arbitrations in France with those in the Middle East, as well as looking at some of the commonalities that exist between them too. So I'm going to ask Alison first to talk about the first peculiarity that we have identified, and that is the heightened complexity. Thank you, Peter. Look, whilst I'm sure that all arbitration practitioners like to think that their arbitrations are equally complex, uh, look, it's hard to argue with the fact that construction arbitrations really stand out. Now, this is not just due to their factual complexity, but also their technical complexity, with major technical issues at stake, along with significant sums that tend to go hand in hand with such issues. Now, construction projects are as varied as they are numerous. So, as you know, building a school building is very different from building a power plant and very different from building an offshore oil platform, for example. And look, to put a Middle Eastern perspective on this, there have clearly been some highly ambitious projects in our neck of the woods, including the likes of gigantic land reclamation projects such as the Palm Islands in Dubai. You must also remember that when you're building in the Middle East, you're often doing it on sand, which is not straightforward from a technical perspective. And it also raises legal issues around liability for adverse ground conditions. So as you can see, this is technical complexity plus plus. Another point to bear in mind is that construction projects are often approached and organised very differently to other commercial operations from start to finish. So you are generally dealing with, number one, a long-term commercial relationship during which disagreements are almost bound to occur regularly. Number two, the need for special or external expertise to support the project. For example, on a case I was involved in, there was an earthquake specialist engaged on the project because the bespoke design was so ambitious that it raised a particular issue around earthquakes. And number three, construction projects typically involve multiple transactions and multiple parties, including contractors, subcontractors, governments, development banks, and so forth. So what do you think, Peter? Do you get many land reclamation projects over in Paris? (laughs) Well, certainly not uh, not as frequently as you would in Dubai, that's for sure. And if that level of technical complexity wasn't enough already, um, I'm going to hand over to Vanessa now to talk about the, the many and very legal peculiarities of construction arbitrations. 
Thanks, Peter. There are two types of legal particularities that I wanted to address. These are substantive and procedural. On the substantive side, over the years, there, we have seen a trend towards a standardization of contracts used in the construction industry with standard forms developed by international organizations such as the International Federation of Consulting Engineers, who've established the FIDIC suite of contracts, and the UK Institution of Civil Engineers, which has produced its family of new engineering contracts, the NEC contracts. Now, you would tend to think that standardization in some ways makes things simpler, right? Well, not necessarily. First, they will not necessarily be performed and interpreted in the same way in all legal traditions. In France, for example, the use of a standard form of contract does not preclude the application of the 1971 law on subcontracting that is a public policy and very protective of the subcontractor. Second, because there is a good deal of variety between the various standard forms of contract. This is in terms of their distinct features and the legal traditions they are inspired by, their length, their complexity, and the facts that they remain relatively unknown outside the sphere of construction. This means that great care has to be taken not only during the drafting phase, but throughout the entire execution of the project. And Peter, Allison, I'm sure that you will agree that things can become even more complex when parties attempt to amend standard forms of contract in the negotiation phase, but may not perhaps seek specialist construction council input. Okay, I would uh, definitely agree with that, Vanessa. And we know that some clients, and that's human nature, will be more familiar with one standard form um, over others. Um, and that can lead to some, some unusual drafting, let's just say, and also to ambiguity. So that, that's certainly the case um, from experience. Yeah, and Vanessa, Peter, that's definitely the case in the Middle East. Here, our in-house council clients uh, tend to be from all over the world. And the FIDIC forms are widely used here, but the NEC forms are, are used much less so. So that's where we can see some, um, some difficulties arising. Okay, so moving on. One of the procedural particularities of construction arbitrations in the, is the presence of multi-tier mechanisms for dispute avoidance, which feature in the various standards forms, including the dispute adjudication board mechanism, which features in some of the FIDIC contracts, including the red and yellow books. Now, such features bring with them their own difficulties, and significant care must be taken to ensure that, depending upon the applicable law, or arbitral seat, such pre-arbitral steps are complied with correctly. In France, for example, failure to attempt conciliation when the dispute resolution clause provides for one renders the referral to arbitration inadmissible until the mandatory conciliation phase is implemented. Well, for sure. I mean, there are certainly some complexities involved in making sure that a party complies with the preconditions for arbitration. Um, and that can get quite tricky, um, especially when you're dealing with subcontractor disputes. If, for example, there's a poorly drafted back-to-back -back contract that doesn't properly stipulate how the dispute should be dealt with, 
or that tries to piggyback onto the disputes clause of the main contract. Now, Alison, you will remember this. It's uh, not too distant a recollection. We were involved in some very big disclosure exercises on construction disputes. So perhaps you could give or share some insights into the procedural peculiarities and also put um, a Middle Eastern perspective on those. Sure, Peter. Look, I have to admit, I'm still having nightmares about those red phone schedules and how intense the disclosure process was on the last case that we handled together. You're certainly right. From an evidentiary point of view, construction disputes frequently involve significantly more documents than other fields. This is just a fact, and it is because projects are complex, as we've talked about. They can take years to complete, and we have seen a number of disputes in the Middle East where delays are very protracted, actually completing many years after the projects were supposed to. Now, in light of this, there are literally years worth of letters and emails and programs and cost substantiations and a very real threat of extensive document disclosure. Now, this can be particularly challenging for parties. And whilst our clients in Dubai are now becoming more understanding of the disclosure process in arbitration, it is somewhat peculiar for them because the UAE is a civil law system and extensive common law discovery style exercises are not a feature of the court process here. In fact, disclosure is very limited in the courts to narrow requests for specific documents that are known to exist. There are definitely no fishing expeditions uh, in the UAE courts. So there can be some resistance to disclosure processes that we see in construction arbitrations. And this just comes with a lack of understanding perhaps about how much work is involved in these disclosure processes. And this is why proficient contract and document management that is carried out as a project progresses, this can really be instrumental if a dispute later arises. We really can't emphasise this more to our clients over here. Vanessa, Peter, do you face similar issues in France? Yes, as you mentioned, France is a civil law system like the UAE. And the reference scheduled process under the IBA rules is sometimes unfamiliar to our clients, along with the exist to the extent to which large volumes of documents, including email correspondence, for example, can be ordered to be produced. That being said, document production is not unknown of the French legal system, even outside of arbitration. Article 145 of the French Code of Civil Procedure provides for the possibility to obtain evidence in summary judgment prior to the initiation of any action. Also of note, um, during the arbitration procedure this time, the French arbitration law expressly provides that an arbitral tribunal has the power to order, along with the production of pieces of evidence, payment of a fine if the evidence is not produced. Okay, well, um, I certainly agree with with all of that. Um, We have time, I think, for one more topic, and it uh, revolves around experts. So, um, Vanessa, would you be able to talk us through how important experts are in construction arbitrations? Certainly, Peter. Expert testimony is frequently used in international arbitration to help tribunals with matters that extend beyond the tribunal's members' own expertise. Even if the parties appoint a quantum expert as arbitrator, the volume of documentation is certainly not something that a tribunal could typically process itself 
except in cases very much on the smaller side. The major issues at stake in construction disputes often touch upon incredibly complex and technical concepts that require specialized knowledge. This specialized knowledge often comes from party-appointed experts, and it is for this reason that recourse to such expertise is very much the norm in construction arbitration. So we regularly see the need for appointment of specialist forensic delay experts, quantum experts, sometimes forensic accountants, as well as engineering experts if there is a claim concerning a complex structural defect, or architectural experts if the claim involves a complex design issue. If claims are advanced under a foreign law contract, we might also see parties instruct the legal expert to opine on the local law. As for the arbitral tribunal, parties may also require, either in the contract or through the tribunal appointment process, for arbitrators to possess specialist skills. For example, claims brought in respect of a complex oil and gas project might require an arbitrator to have industry experience. Finally, the lawyers. We certainly have construction expertise at Reed Smith, but we sometimes do see parties engage lawyers who aren't specialist construction practitioners, and this can be to their detriment. Do you have any perspectives to add on this? Well, I'd add there that we certainly tend to advise clients to get independent experts on board earlier rather than later and to invest the money if they can on experts who are highly experienced and who have testifying experience. And the reason this is critical is that if the case doesn't settle, um, and of course that's what we aim to try to succeed in getting, But if it doesn't, until you end up at um, an arbitration hearing, it can do a significant deal of harm if you've selected an expert and find that that expert has not got the relevant um, experience. And so your, your client is outgunned by the opposing side's expert. Peter, I, I certainly agree with all of that, um, and especially the point that experts should generally be engaged early if they can. And this is even more so in the UAE, where there tends to be a rather smaller pool of quality experts who are on the ground here, um, which can be very important for our clients. And if you do require a more peculiar type of expertise, then there might only be a handful of such experts in the world, and therefore you really must definitely engage someone in a timely manner. What is the most peculiar type of experts you have had to engage? <laughs> oh, there've been there've been a, a large number over the years. Um, more recently, sort of a case that involved geotechnical conditions relating to um, subsoil conditions, and there it was looking for an expert in a particular type of soil. Um, and there were only two or three worldwide. So that comes back to the point that Alison made um, earlier. And in another case, um, looking for certain types of metallurgical experts. And again, with the alloy that was involved, there were in fact only two experts worldwide. So it was important that we acted very quickly and got the top person on board. 
That's fascinating. I, uh, my, uh, I had a funny one, actually. I had to once engage a specialist roof tile expert, uh, p- a person that was familiar with a specific type of um, synthetic roof tile to defend a design claim. And I can tell you now this was not really uh, that easy to find. And our team in Dubai, of course, has also had to call on fire and explosion experts for some other fascinating cases over here. So they'd be my top two. That's fascinating. So my next question is that we have been speaking of party-appointed experts quite a lot, but French law makes quite a big distinction between tribunal-appointed experts and party-appointed experts. Peter, would you like to expand on that? Sure. In French civil procedure, um, court-appointed experts um, and party-appointed experts are subject to two very distinct regimes. And court-appointed experts are appointed, as as the the name suggests, directly by the judge. And their activity is governed by the French Code of Civil Procedure, which requires an adversarial um, expertise. The party-appointed experts, however, are governed by their own professional rules of conduct. And any report issued has no particular evidentiary value before the French courts. And there was been, there's been a recent case that really does highlight this fundamental distinction. It was a case that was before the French Supreme Court, and it overruled a first-instance judgment for violating the principle of adversarial proceedings uh, by relying exclusively on the findings of a party-appointed report, expert report, in reaching the uh, court's verdict, even though the other party had been duly summoned to the expert's appraisal. It's a distinction and that decision is highly unlikely to apply um, if we're talking about an international arbitration taking place um, in France or even under French law, but would potentially kick in if you were talking about a domestic arbitration in France. But it does highlight the um, importance of um, paying real attention to the cultural differences and bearing in mind as well your the most important audience that you have in an arbitration, which is, of course, the arbitral tribunal. Um, so you need to be sure that you understand um, where they will approach um, culturally um, the, the import of expert evidence. That's really interesting, um, Peter and, and Vanessa, for the French perspective. Um, I'd only add that in the Middle East, um, certainly in the UAE, that court appoint experts are commonplace in UAE court proceedings. And we also occasionally see tribunal appointed experts in arbitrations seated in the UAE. And this tends to be where the parties have failed to appoint experts at all. Of course, the, the tribunal will need an expert in that case. But perhaps more rarely, and I have seen this, is where both parties have appointed an expert, but the tribunal has felt that neither of the experts have really offered much assistance or been credible. And so that in that case, uh, the tribunal actually appointed its own expert because it, it felt it needed more support. Well, I think that this is about all that we have time for. And so we've touched on various elements of what is um, a a much bigger topic. What I would do is suggest to the the audience that if they're interested in finding out a little bit more, um, we've just issued our fourth edition of the International Arbitration Newsletter, and that has a specific focus on construction arbitration. 
And there is a piece in there where from um, eight of our jurisdictions, we have looked at, for example, the way um, arbitral tribunals would approach the issue of um, time bars in construction contracts. So it really just remains for me to say that I hope that you have found this discussion informative and helpful and to thank very much both Alison and Vanessa. And thank you all for tuning into this podcast. Arbitral Insights is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Ali McArdle. For more information about Reed Smith's global international arbitration practice, email Joseas de Garaga at jia at reedsmith.com. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, reedsmith.com, and our social media accounts at Reedsmith LLP on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. All rights reserved.